All right. Can you say amen? How great is our God? Amen. amen. He's indescribable. Paul said, thanks be unto God for His indescribable gift. And so we thank Him today for that, that we can praise and, and worship Him today and uh, give Him the glory He deserves. I want to invite you, if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to share a message with you this morning about a hopeful future. You know, uh, it may seem difficult now. It might seem to be a little above average in the struggles that we face. Let me tell you, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a hopeful future. We have a, a future that we can trust to God and with God that's going to be uh, amazing and incredible. And so as believers, we ought to stay focused on that message. We ought to reflect that hope that we have in Jesus Christ to the world today. Uh, the culture, the world that we live in today, we, we certainly need to be a messenger of hope and of good joy to the world that we live in. Uh, Paul describes an event in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. That it's really kind of sandwiched between two really difficult times. The Bible says before this event happens that our world is going to get increasingly worse. Uh, it's going to get more and more self-centered, self-absorbed, self-focused. If you think that's impossible, it really isn't. Uh, the Bible says things like men will become lovers of themselves and lovers of things. And, and it's going to progressively get worse until this event happens. But yet, on the other side of it, it's not much better news. The only good news about the next part of it is for a season. But the Bible says that it's times that the earth has never seen, times of trouble. Like's never happened or never will happen on the earth. So, but in the middle of where we're going is this message of hope. And that's what we have to carry with us. Uh, through, through all of our life and the conversation of our life is this, this sense of being hopeful. You see, it's not the circumstances around us that bring us our hope. Jesus says that I, I, peace that I'm going to leave you in the sense of hope. He says not, not from the world. God never intended us to get our hope or our peace from the world. But He always intended it to come from Him. And our relationship with Him. And so Paul begins to describe something incredible that's going to happen. That for every child of God ought to be the, give the idea of hope. Let me read these verses real quickly and we'll pray and come back and think about what he's saying. Beginning of verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
Bow with me, if you would, and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you today that in the midst of our own national, world, personal struggles, that, Lord, we know that in you we have hope. That we know that the greatest enemy that we have is death. And that you overcame death for us. That in you we have ultimate victory. Thank you, Lord, that in your kindness and love you chose to reveal how these things are going to happen. And in the message of Scripture we find so many places and so many things that give us great cause to hope and rejoice. So Lord, I pray this morning as we think about these things that will happen, that we do that with anticipation and an excitement that gives us hope. Father, open our hearts, our thoughts, our understanding this morning. Guard us from the evil one who would plant doubt, despair. And Lord, teach us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul begins to write, he describes something that is about to happen in the future that really is a source of great Christian hope. What Paul describes, first of all, is a motivation for encouragement. Sometimes we, we need to be motivated, right? So, I know some of you husbands out there, you need a little bit of motivation from time to time. Uh, you, you have a, a, maybe a loving partner, wife, uh, husband, who helps motivate you in, in your uh, needs. And so uh, we have the same effect through Scripture. And so Paul shares about this event that really should be a motivation for our encouragement. If you look at verse 13, he talks about that. And then he closes this chapter with the same idea. And he says, comfort one another with these words. So they're, they're given to us to motivate us to be encouraged. When things are difficult or when things get heavy or hard in our lives, we, we need that sense of encouragement. And so Paul begins to give us some things about this event that gives us that sense of encouragement. First of all, if you look at verse 13... In this motivation for encouragement, he reminds us of God's promise, his promise. That, that God is uh, giving us a promise. Uh, God is a promise keeper. Uh, he never fails on his promises. Uh, he never gives a promise that he doesn't fully intend to keep or that he doesn't keep. And so Paul reminds us of this promise. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, Paul wasn't casting despair on these guys. What The word ignorant means uninformed. Paul says, I want you to be knowing. I want you to know this because he understood that if they had a knowledge of this promise that it would bring encouragement to their lives. And so it's not knowing the promises of God that leaves our hearts troubled. But when we know those promises, we live in peace. What we don't know does hurt us. And we have to be mindful of that very thing. And Paul said to these guys, he says, he says that, look, comfort one another. You need to know this promise. Jesus reminded the disciples in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. And what did he do? He went on it and he gave them a promise. 
He says, do you believe in God? Believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's his promise. And, and so what did that do for the disciples? It lifted up their hearts in encouragement. If we don't know these promises of God and understand them, then we're, we're going to be left in, in a sense of despair as believers. The promises of God toward believers are good. And they're, they're always positive. Let me give you some things the Bible says about God's promises. Not promises, but what the Bible says about God's promises. And, and it'll really, it was uplifting to me to look these things up. Here's what one verse says. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, For all the promises of God in Him, in Christ, are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So Paul's saying that, listen, when God makes a promise to us, that it's an affirmative, positive promise. That it's something good for the believer. That is something that God is going to work out in the life of the believer in such a way that not only is it going to benefit you and I, but it's also going to be a blessing to God. It's going to glorify Him. And so anytime in the Bible that we find a promise of God, then we ought to be encouraged by that. Those things like, let not your hearts be troubled. Those things like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Uh, those things like whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are promises in the Word of God that are beneficial for us as believers. Another one, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter's saying that these promises of God are beneficial in the sense that they help separate us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we can really enjoy the things of God because we're basing that relationship on the promises of God. It's exciting, isn't it? Another place in the Bible that it talks about promises. Again, Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.13. He says this. He says, Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What, a, what an encouraging thing for you and I today. The Bible says that as believers, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. And you know the great thing about this new heaven and new earth is not, not so much, well, it really is that it's new, but it's what dwells there, isn't it? Righteousness. Righteousness. You know, as we look around us today, it's hard to find a measure of righteousness, isn't it? But yet we're going to dwell in a place where all there is is righteousness. So as we struggle with unfairness, prejudice, anger, all these kind of issues that are part of a fallen world, you see, we have to realize that one day it's not going to be like that. That there's going to be a better day, a better place. And that's God's promise to you and I today. How can we get through to the day, to, to today, through today, is that we can, you know, put our faith in what God's going to do in the future. One more reference. 1 John 2, 25, the Bible says, And this is the promise 
that He has promised us eternal life. Wow. I mean, that's hopeful, isn't it? (laughs) That God has promised us eternal life. And so when Paul begins to reveal some things about uh, this event that we're going to look at just deeper in a second, is that it motivates us for encouragement. Now listen, this promise that Paul's referring to here, let me just say it out. It's, it's the rapture of the church. It, it's that time when Jesus comes in the air and He calls His church out of this earth to be with Him. It's a time when those believers coming with Him will be receiving the resurrected bodies and, and, and those that are alive believers here on this earth are, are going to be changed. We're going to be with Him. And that's the, that's the hope and the promise that He's talking about. And so God is working in that to encourage us. That's an encouraging message, the resurrection. When we, every Easter, we have to celebrate every day. Certainly we do every Sunday. Uh, but, but certainly every Easter we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because it's the message of hope. That Jesus Christ died, was buried, He passed through the grave, and now He's alive. And, and so that's hope for you and I today. And so his promise to us is, I don't want you to be ignorant about this, but what I want you to do is be hopeful because of the promise. Now, look a little bit further in verse 13. He talks about his plan. I mean, his promise is that I don't want you to be ignorant about this promise. I want you to know what it is. But also, I want you to know that I'm working out my plan, God says. And, and, and what does he say in verse 13? He goes on and he says, Brethren... Concerning those who have fallen asleep. Here's, here's what he's, Paul's addressing. He says this promise is about those who have fallen asleep. And about God's plan for them. Uh, you see, the, the idea of falling asleep here is that those who have physically died. It's those whose soul and spirit separated from the body. What happens to them? That was the big question that the believers in Thessalonica had. What happens after we die? Well, that's a pretty big question in the world today, isn't it? What, what, what does that look like? Maybe you guys heard about the, the atheists who died. You know, uh, most atheists believe that, you know, that that's it. That, that's the final thing. Once you die, you exist no more. You're just done. And, and so this atheist dies. Friends were kind of reviewing things and they were looking at him and having a conversation and say. You know, hey, look at our buddy here. Doesn't he look great? Uh, you know, he's, he's got all, all... I've never seen him dressed like this before. And one of them said, yeah, all dressed up and nowhere to go. You see. But we know where we're going to go. And, and he, God explains his plan. You see, concerning those who have fallen asleep. You know, we think about those Old Testament believers. What, you know, what about them? The Bible gives us information about them. The Bible says those who believed in God in the Old Testament, they went to a place the Bible refers to as paradise or Abraham's bosom. Uh, in Matthew, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 16, Jesus talked about a man named Lazarus. Do you remember him? And he talked about a rich man. And he said that rich man... Uh, fared very well. Uh, Lazarus had it difficult. But the difference between the two is that Lazarus believed in God. And that when he died, the Bible says he went to 
paradise to Abraham's bosom. Like the thief on the cross when Jesus was witnessing to him and talking to him. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so those who believed in God went to paradise. And, and they were there and they were waiting for that sacrifice. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3. He talks about the fact that for, for those believers who came before the cross, that God waited on the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. You see, David's sin was forgiven just like our sin is forgiven because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Those Old Testament saints were looking to the cross in the future. But yet we look at it backward in the past. But it's the same sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and following, Jesus uh, is, is, is talked about having descended into the lower parts, taking captivity captive, and ascending with him in heaven. What's he doing? He's taking those believers Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those Old Testament believers, and at the time of his ascension, they fought him into heaven. So he took paradise with him into heaven. But what about the, those who come after his sacrifice? Well, the Bible tells us that as well. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You see, for the church today, when a believer dies and that soul and spirit separated from their body, that, that soul and spirit is immediately present with the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he, he struggled with that. He says, as for me to live as Christ and die as gain. And Paul goes on to say, but it's better for me even to be absent and to be with the Lord. But it's better for you than I'm here with you. In other words, Paul said to those believers, it's better that I'm here so I can teach you. But it's better for me if I were there. And so for the Christian, when we leave this life through physical death, it's being present with the Lord. Now Paul's talking about something in the future, in this plan, that's going to happen that has to do with those who are absent from the body and now present with the Lord. We're going to get that in just a minute. But he has a plan. Now, not only does he have a plan, but he's got a passion for that plan. He goes on to say in verse 13 to, uh, to the believers, he says, Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. In other words, Paul says, you need to know this. Because if you don't, when someone you love dies, you're going to sorrow as somebody who has no hope. He says, you're not like that. You have a hope, is what Paul's saying. And then he goes on to verse 18 at the end. He says, comfort one another with these words. In other words, tell people about this very thing. So that they will know if they're believers. And that they will have the same kind of hope that you have as well. And so he was passionate about what he was sharing. Because Paul understood how much hope that would bring to the believer's life. Their big question was what happens. Paul says, here's what happens. And here's what's going to happen. Well, not only is it uh, a motivation for encouragement, but also it's a message that's evangelistic. I mean, look, if you can look at this and, and not want to get saved, and not not want to get saved, then 
Um, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> because it's evangelistic. Or not rejoice in the salvation that you have. Because it, it really is. He, he talks about in verse 14 the condition for this message. In other words, he says, if we believe. You see, Paul says that this comfort that you can have or this hope that you can have of something after this life is only contingent if you believe. It's a believer's promise. So if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, well, what do we believe? Well, look at the context of the message. He says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. It, that Jesus died and rose again. So now... He, he puts that belief in context. It's, belief, it's not just belief in general, but it's belief in Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. Well, why is that so important? Well, we know why that's important, right? Because apart from faith in Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, there's no atonement for our sin. His sacrifice is irrelevant to our need if we don't believe it. In other words, even though Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that it doesn't affect everyone in the world because not everyone's believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes His or appropriates His sacrifice for our sinful need. We believe it. That we trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us. That we believe that it's sufficient for our sins. To pay the ransom for our sins. And so we put our faith in that as believers. We believe that He buried and rose from the dead. Why is that so important? There's the hope, isn't it? is that His resurrection validates His own sacrifice. In other words, Jesus Christ's resurrection says that what I did for you is sufficient. It's finished. He's not still dying. He's not going to keep on dying. He's not going to come back and die. But He died once for sins. The just for the unjust. And then when that was finished, then the Father raised Him from the dead. And that says to you and I today, I can trust that. Because it's enough. How often as believers, do, or as, as people, as human beings, not as believers, but as people, do we, do we want to add to what God really says? In other words, we say, well, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that He saved me. But I'm not sure that, you know, that will keep me saved. Uh, maybe there's some kind of things that I need to do in order to guarantee that I can hold on to my salvation. <laughs> That's something too big for you to hold on to. You see, because Jesus has to hold on to it for you. Uh, I remember when our, our kids were little, you know, they, they, they'd be going around playing or doing something. They'd get their hands full of stuff and that they wanted to hold on to. And, and, and then before long, if they wanted to pick up something else, they'd come to Jackie or I and they'd say, would you hold on to this for me? Would you hold on to this for me? So they could pick up something else. And, and you know why they did that? Because they trusted us. They believed that we would secure that thing for them. And when they wanted it, they could come back and there it would be. 
You see, God holds on to our salvation for us. He holds on to us. The Bible says that it's, it's a picture of we're in His hands. We're in His care. We're tr- in, in trust to Him. And He'll hold on to us. And so we have to believe these things. That He rose again also. And that becomes the message that's evangelistic in this whole thing. For you and I to have hope. And for you and I to have union with Christ at last for eternity. We have to believe Believe in Him. Now, let me give you a third thing. It's a monumental event that Paul's talking about here. And the monumental event is, is really kind of summarizing, first of all, those who are assembled. Have you ever thought about that very thing? Uh, look at verse 14. He says, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, who are those? That, that's those believers, isn't it? That's those that are absent from the body and present with the Lord. And so Jesus says, I'm going to return in the air and I'm going to bring with me those who have put their faith in me and we're going to come together. And so there's Jesus and there's believers that, that, that have already gone through physical death and they're present with Jesus Christ. You getting excited? Do you know some of those people? Maybe they're some of your family or someone close to you or someone that you loved or you knew that are coming with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 15, we who are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord. So here's, the, here's another group in it. It's those believers who are alive on earth when this event happens. So here comes Jesus and He's bringing with those, those with Him that that have put their faith in Him, gone through physical death, and then there's people who are alive. Now, Paul says something else about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that not all will see death. He says, I'll tell you a mystery. That that not everyone's going to see physical death. But some are going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. He's talking about those who are alive and remain here on earth when He comes. So there's Jesus, there's those He's bringing with Him, and there's those who are already here. And, and once this event happens, then all of a sudden, we're all going to be gathered together. And so there's those who are assembled that make it a monumental thing. It's His church. And then there's the announcement, by the way. You know something's monumental by how it's announced, isn't it? I mean, if it's a big event, there's going to be an announcement that matches the event. How does he say this thing's going to be announced? He talks about that very thing in verse 16. He says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. Jesus is going to appear. Now that's going to be glorious. It's going to be unbelievable. And it's going to be unmistakable. You see, they were confused about a lot of things. And one of those things, even being the coming of the Lord. But there's going to be no mistake about who this is. And about what happens. And so he's going to come. There's going to be uh, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. I don't know how loud an archangel can shout. But I can imagine it could get, it'll, it'll get people's attention all over the earth. It'll have to. And if that's not enough, there's going to be the trumpet of God. It's going to trumpet His coming in the air. So in Israel's history, the trumpet 
was that instrument, device that was used to call people together for worship. The shofar. And so there's going to be a blast of this horn, this trumpet. And it's going to be an announcement that, hey, I'm here. You come and be together with me. Now, this is for his church, those who believe in him. Uh, Not only for this monumental event, this announcement, but also look at the arrangement. In the sense of how it happens. What does he say? He said, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So he has this thing ordered. So what's going to happen? Those he brings with him, those believers who have passed through natural death, you know what? Their bodies are going to be raised first. And they're going to be reunited, soul, spirit, to a resurrected body. How amazing is that, isn't it? And then once that happens, guess what? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. In other words, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. Changed. How fantastic is that? What a promise of hope that Christ gives to us, the resurrection. It's when He comes for His church. It's when He unites every believer with their eternal bodies. What hope that that kind of message brings. It's just a joy. It's a monumental event that's going to happen. But then there's this one last thing. It just gets better, by the way. God's promises always get better. Um, and the more we understand them, the better they get. This meeting that Paul describes, it's a meeting that's eternal. It's eternal. <laughs> he says in verse 17, he says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be... And that word caught up means raptured. And the idea of this kind of catching up is is Suddenly. Uh, it's it's rapid. I mean, it'll happen like that. And so, by virtue of that, we need to be we need to be ready, right? We need to be believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ, because you see, most uh, Bible scholars who study prophecy believe that this event that's about to happen is imminent. In other words, it's ready to happen at any time. I mean, it may be today. And we may be a part of those who are alive and remain. Or it may be sometime in the future, we may be a part of those that Christ brings with Him. Doesn't matter how we get to this place, it's the fact that we get there that's exciting. But yet it could happen at any time. And the good news is, is that it lasts forever. And we shall always be with the Lord. That's His promise, isn't it? In other words, there's, there's no more separation. One of the greatest things that cause you and I pain on this earth is separation. But yet, one day, Jesus has this glorious plan... Or that we will not be separated ever again 
from each other or from Him. Because we will spend forever in heaven with Him. The promise of the rapture of His church. That He'll bring believers with Him. That He'll change believers that are here. That He'll call His church to be with Him. And we'll be with Him forever. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Pray with me if you would this morning. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you today for the blessings of this great promise. That as we think about all these things that you, you promised that will happen, the thought of being with you when we leave this world, the thought of coming back with you or being here when you come and the gathering together and the reunion that we'll all have because we're a part of the family of God. That we're inseparable in the sense that we're one in the body of Christ. This gives us great hope. Father, I just pray this morning that we'll take this hope and use it to rejoice and to give comfort. But Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand that are we ready for something like this? Are we ready to be absent from this body and to be present with you? Have we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today? We invited Him into our life, our hearts, surrendered to Him as Lord and Savior. Lord, I just pray this morning for the peace that You bring to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand if you would please.